Welcome back. I'd like to um, I'd like to speak a little bit at this point. Well, it might be more than a little bit uh, to offer some Dharma reflections on on the practices that we've been doing today, and really looking at them um, and a practice in general, a meditation practice in general. Um, from this angle, this questioning of um, doing and not doing. Sometimes uh, referred to in meditation circles as doing and being. I hear that a lot. And, um, you know, I was... I referred to that before the last meditation, you know, which, as I said... uh, at the time might feel, if you're not used to that type of practice, might feel quite strange or unusual. Yeah, kind of, what are we doing? We're imagining, we're imagining the breath. Yeah. And that often comes up you know, when I teach uh, that, that way of practicing, or actually everything we did today. Yeah, which is kind of having this sense of responsiveness with the breath that can feel quite radical sometimes Um, because the aspect of um, of mindfulness of breathing that's emphasized a lot uh, is that of um, a less uh, kind of engaged way of using the breath yeah what is sometimes referred to as you know being with things as they are, yeah. witnessing. It's being mindful without interfering. I'm just kind of saying lots of, lots of ways, yeah. just being lots of ways that this is spoken of. So, you know, it's quite an alive um, area in, in meditation practice, both for us individually and as communities. Yeah, there's a lot of ideas around it. There's a lot of views around it. Um, and I think this is maybe changing a little bit nowadays again, but for a very long time, the emphasis was very much on this idea of uh, practice as a non-doing, yeah, or not doing, practice as uh, more that sense of the being uh, rather than the doing. And that, you know, I'm going to question a little bit that polarity in general um, but there's, there's that sense that there is a polarity and that where we should be leaning is more towards um, this letting experience unfold you know without interference um, without much involvement in it and I think it's really worth kind of first of all acknowledging that there's an assumption or a conceptual framework of a polarity here of, of doing and not doing and to inquire a little bit well what is doing and what is, you know, being or non-doing. Um, and one thing we can maybe question is, is it even possible? Yeah. Is it even possible to not do? Yeah. Is it even possible to not interfere? Yeah. And, you know, this is kind of a really important question for us because as meditators, we're interested in an understanding experience. I don't know if you remember, that's the first thing I said today. <laughs> 
one of the first things this morning. We're interested in understanding, meeting experience, understanding experience. Yeah. And so is it even possible to not do, to not engage, to not interfere? You know, I remember it's quite some years ago, but um, when science came out and said, you know, like, Science, yeah, such a factor in, in our con conception of the world, yeah. And scientists were coming out and saying, actually, yeah, this kind of thing, there's no such thing as a neutral observer of phenomena. Yeah, that doesn't exist. And it, it's quite mind boggling, you know, that as soon as there's an observer, even if that observer is, you know, not seemingly not work, not observing the mind, but observing, you know, things in Petri dishes, <laughs> yeah, doing experiments, the presence of the observer has an impact, yeah, there's no such thing as a neutral observer, it doesn't exist, there's no neutrality, yeah, that's quite, you know, I remember like, hearing this thing, yes, you know, I love it when science kind of comes together with, uh, with the teachings and kind of says these things. Yes, there's no such thing as a neutral observer or in the language that I'm using here, it's not possible for us yeah, to not have an impact on experience, yeah? to not do, to just be. Yeah? Because as soon as we pay attention to an experience, then we're impacting it. Yeah, we're involved in it as soon as we pay attention, yeah? Just by paying attention, just by saying, I'm going to pay attention to this, yeah? And sometimes people come and say, you know, I can't work with the breath as a meditation object because as soon as I bring attention to the breath, it changes, yeah? So I'm doing it wrong, yeah? I'm doing it wrong because as soon as I pay attention to it, it changes. I'm doing it wrong. It's like, no, you're not doing it wrong. You're just noticing that this is happening. And for some of us, this may, you know, be unpleasant and therefore fine. Yeah, we don't need to use the breath as a, as a meditation object. Um, but what is actually revealed, and this is what we're interested in through our meditation, we're interested in what is revealed, yeah, in practice. So... You know, this is all of this, everything that I've said so far, you know, is, is really emphasizing, highlighting based on the most crucial and fundamental understanding that the teachings are pointing towards and encouraging us to explore. Yeah. That everything, as things come to be, yeah, things come to be in a moment of experience, as they come into being, as they unfold, they are constructed, yeah, they are fabricated, they are shaped, yeah, the, you know, just that word, things are coming to be, coming to be out of what, yeah, coming to be out of conditions, yeah, so there, every moment of experience, every object of attention, yeah, is a coming into being, is a construction, yeah, a fabrication, yeah, put together, made up. Yeah, and this is really important. And I don't know if you heard the language there. Did you hear? I said, as things come to be, often mistranslated as things as they are. Yeah, 
things as they come into being, things as they uh, come to be. So there isn't some isness to things, which that things as they are implies. But there's a coming together, coming into being, construction, fabrication. Uh, And this shift is really important, really important. And so the fundamental, this fundamental thread of the teachings, yeah, which is so important to us, this, this shift, yeah, that there's always, yeah, when things come into being, yeah, when things are shaped, yeah, they are shaped also by our own mind, yeah. So the mind plays a part in how experience is shaped, how it comes into being. And, and, you know, I, I said it in different ways just now, but I'll repeat them now that I've said this. Yeah. How we pay attention, what we pay attention, that we pay attention to something shapes it. Yeah. It's on a very simple level. Yeah. It's always, yeah, we're always doing that. Yeah. When there's an experience, we're shaping it through the way of relating, through the way of looking. Because we're paying attention to something and not to something else. And we're also paying attention in particular ways, offering attention in particular ways. And all of this is most of the time unconscious, under the radar. But it's all happening all the time, including right now. All the time, including right now. Yeah, it's happening. So, you know, right now, yeah, the way you're listening is impacting what you hear. Yeah. It's just like the Petri dishes and the, <laughs> the scientists. Yeah. And just the fact that you're here, yeah, impacts, yeah, what is happening. Yeah. Even if you just sit there and you don't listen, just the fact that you're here impacts, impacts what is said, impacts how it's said. Yeah. So it seems like I'm sitting over here, you're sitting somewhere else. Yeah. Maybe relatively close to me, maybe really far from me. And it seems like those two are separate events. And it's not, you know, like I I often joke about this, but, you know, sometimes I want to do this experiment where I'd use the same notes for talk after talk after talk over, you know, an extended period. I do use the same notes sometimes for talks. It's not like completely imaginary. Yeah. But to do it like consistently. Yeah. And I promise you also because of experience, it's going to be a different talk every time. Yeah. Even though the notes are the same. And why is that? Because you're here. Yeah. And because your way of listening changes and also my way of listening yeah changes my way of listening to you yeah even though you're not saying anything seemingly my way of listening to myself changes my way of listening to my notes changes so the listening impacts what we hear and the listening is impacted by our mind state yeah 
impacted by the weather, impacted by what we ate and how much at lunch, if it was lunch for you. Yeah. Countless conditions, yeah. the listening impacted by um, familiarity, yeah, relationship. How well we slept last night. So many conditions coming in. And so there's always a way, yeah, of looking that's impacting our experience. There's always, um, you know, experience is always constantly shaped, coming together, fabricated, yeah, constructed, conditioned, all words that mean the same thing. And the mind is a, is a crucial part of that. And so really important when I said, you know, this, like, let's just kind of question this seemingly duality between doing and non-doing, yeah, doing and being. Uh, what happens if we also see those as ways of looking? Yeah? And we put them within the framework of appropriateness. What's appropriate? What's useful right now in experience? You know, any way of looking well, not any, but most ways of looking will be useful at some time, will be appropriate at some time, way of looking, way of relating, yeah, way of paying attention, yeah, all synonyms. And so this kind of what we associate with doing less, yeah, with the being part can be really useful, yeah, it supports spaciousness, it supports um, less identification, right, if we're just kind of listening to experience, watching experience, doing our best to not interfere yeah, with experience, even though we know that we are interfering, but there's great, there's degrees of interference. Yeah. So it supports spaciousness, non-identification, equanimity. Yeah. And what opens up here is, you know, the, the, this kind of incredible possibility yeah that we can recognize, we can know, we can recognize how different ways of looking, different ways of paying attention, different ways of engaging with our experience, um, how they impact experience, how they shape it. And we really were playing with that today, you know, through the practices. Yeah. So I'll just kind of say a little bit about that. So we played a lot, you know, one of the basic things we were doing was this opening awareness through the body, yeah, opening awareness through the field of the body. And for some people, sometimes this is completely foreign, can be very inaccessible. You know, you may still have no idea what I'm talking about when I say that. Uh, that's fine. Yeah. For some people, it's very accessible, very powerful. Um, but in any case, and for most of us, we'll be moving along that spectrum yeah, at different times. Um, when we open awareness, when we expand, yeah, what happens? Keep doing this movement. Yeah, What happens? Yeah, more spaciousness. And with more spaciousness, what comes? Less contraction. And with less contraction, what comes? Less demand. Yeah, less for me. Yeah. Spaciousness. Yeah. Less contraction, less demand, less limitation, less identification. Yeah. And so, 
Yeah, and here's an interesting thing. There's a doing in that, of course, yeah, because it takes intention. Yeah, we need to have the intention to open the awareness and to keep opening it because you may have noticed today the habit is for it to contract, yeah, to kind of um, shrink around objects and attention. So it takes attention and it takes mindfulness to notice what's happening and it takes attention. Yeah. All of these are doings. Yeah, we're doing right there. And it takes perseverance and patience and playfulness and yeah, how we're paying attention. And so often, you know, we, we see this and we think, ah, this is more doing than just resting back and receiving experience. Yeah, this kind of stretching of awareness or this attentiveness with the breath. Yeah, this responsiveness of the breath. That's more doing than if I just rest back and receive experience. Yeah. And so it can feel like uh, I'm doing more or this is more doing. Um, it's actually a form of, uh, also we can see it as, some, as, as less doing. Yeah. It's like, this is so interesting. It also can be less doing. And what is it that we do less of yeah. when we open yeah, we'll keep opening the space. So I already said we're demanding less. That's a big one. We're contracting less. Yeah, we're clinging less. Yeah, because it's very difficult to cling. Try it. Very difficult to cling when awareness is wide. Really try this. Yeah, you'll see it goes like that. It's like a muscle. Yeah, when there's clinging, when there's demanding, it shrinks, so it also means it works the other way around. If I'm opening, if I'm widening, if I'm training myself yeah, to open, yeah, there's less clinging. And clinging needs more work to arise, yeah? it needs to be stronger to come in. And all of this is so significant, significant for us because with clinging, with demanding, with contraction comes dukkha. Yeah, the opposite of freedom. Yeah, dis-ease, ill-being. Yeah. Difficulty. And so when we kind of meet the breath, yeah, and we use the breath, yeah, we utilize that meeting with the breath to attend to experience. Yeah. That's what we were doing um, through the morning practices. We were meeting the breath and we were using yeah, the breath to attend to experience. And another way we can say that, we were shaping experience through the breathing. Yeah, we also did that this afternoon. Shaping experience through imagining the breath coming in and out of different parts of the body. So what we pay attention to and how we pay attention shapes experience. So what happens, yeah, when we kind of say, okay, I'm going to breathe in a way that's nourishing. Yeah. Or I'm going to um, invite the breath to be supportive to what is needed, to be responsive, yeah, to feeling tired or responsive to feeling agitated. 
What happens there? Yeah. I'm really interested to hear from you if you noticed anything. Yeah. Interesting. If, if anyone wants to, you're really welcome to put that into the chat because I'd love to have your voices in there. What happens yeah, when we, you know, experiment with, with responsiveness, either through what we were doing this morning, yeah, enlivening, calming, soothing, nourishing with the breathing, or what we we're doing this afternoon, yeah, breathing in and out of particular areas in the body, noticing any well-being that arises with that. So I'm just going to pause here for a moment and see if anyone um, has a response. What was that like for you? What did you see? I'm really welcome to put that into the chat. Yeah, so less rumination while well, I can manage it. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. So rumination for those, if you're not familiar with that word, um, you know, like kind of dwelling on thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, can welcome our experience rather than looking at them as unwelcome intruders. Yeah, that possibility opens up. Yeah. So rather than having this, again, this is the demand coming in there. Yeah. And then that welcoming um, really makes a difference. Okay, never the breath alone. Yeah. So when using a calming breath, noticing the impact on the body, yeah, there's really beautiful insights here from people, right? Changing the way of looking, noticing um, that the, the kind of the rumination decreases, noticing the mirroring of breath, body, mind. Yeah. This is another thing, noticing that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it can feel a little disorienting. What is my experience if I can shape it so directly with the quality of my awareness? Yeah. <laughs> it can be disorienting. And if it's too disorienting, then we, you know, that's why there's a spectrum of appropriateness. Then we ground, yeah, we ground and we see or we focus on a particular aspect. Yeah, that's part of why we do so much simplification in practice. And we say, okay, just the breath or just the body now. So it might be just attending to what is arising in the body through the breathing or say, no, primarily just breathing now. Yeah, and not not attending unless it becomes really strong and calls my attention. Yeah, so the breath itself doesn't have to be what my mind thinks it is. Yeah, because again, that here's the conceptualization that always comes in, yeah, an idea of what a breath is. Yeah, something else. It doesn't have to be fixed. Yeah. So easier to have something to focus on as well as the breathing. Yeah, so a lot of insights here. Yeah. And then this sense of merging with my surroundings, not sure where I begin and end. Yeah. I can see all this, all this opens up. Yeah, we all did the same practice, seemingly different experiences. Yeah. Different experiences and so much opening up. Yeah. 
found it easier to be and to accept. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, so thank you for, for sharing all of those. It's really, really beautiful always to, to hear people's experience. And I want to relate um, the things I have said so far, the things that you've said so far, to uh, direct, well, as direct as we can get to the Buddha's teachings, yeah, the, the, um, the suttas, the discourses, yeah, which were written down about 500 years after um, the Buddha passed away. So, you know, as, as direct as, as we can get um, these days without time travel. Um, so here's the, uh, here's the Buddha yeah, talking about mindfulness of breathing. A very famous sutta, Anapanasati sutta, um, the mindfulness of in and out breathing. Yeah, very famous. And it's quite a long part, and I'll kind of read read bits and then reflect on them a little bit. So the Buddha begins with a question like he likes to do. Uh, how is mindfulness of in and out breathing developed and pursued so as to be of great fruit and great benefit? Yeah. How is mindfulness of in and out breathing developed and pursued so as to be of great fruit, of great benefit? There is the case where a practitioner having gone to the wilderness or sitting in their house to the shade of a tree or an empty building, sits down folding the legs crosswise or in a comfortable chair, holding, I'm adding things in, you can tell that of course, um, holding their body erect and establishing mindfulness to the full. Mindful they breathe in, mindful they breathe out. Breathing in long they discern and breathing in long. Breathing out long, they discern, I'm breathing out long. Breathing in short, they discern, I'm breathing in short. Breathing out short, they discern, I'm breathing out short. Okay, I'm going to pause there for a minute. Um, most of you probably know this part of the sutta, uh, very, very commonly quoted. Um, lots of different interpretations. I find that fascinating. Yeah, so some people will say, oh, what the Buddha's describing here is just, you know, awareness of what the breath is doing. If it's long, it's long. If it's short, it's short. Yeah, just, just, you know, that's what we're doing. Other people will say, no, he's actually giving us a, an instruction. He's saying breathe longer, yeah, or breathe shorter and see how that shapes your experience. So just have to, to just point that out. Now we can interpret it in different ways and we can explore it differently in our own experience. We can see what happens when we, you know, hear it one way or another. And then the sutta continues. Um, this person trains themselves. I will breathe in sensitive to the entire body. Okay. Is this starting to make sense with what we did today? Yeah. Yeah. Breathing. Um, they train themselves, I will breathe out sensitive to the entire body. Yeah. So this is where the practices we're doing together, they're based on this sutta. Yeah. Like lots of other practices. <laughs> yeah. That sense of the whole body awareness and that sensitivity yeah, of meeting um, the experience. Yeah. They train themselves, I will breathe in calming bodily fabrication. 
and they train themselves, I will breathe out calming bodily fabrication. Yeah. So here's the responsiveness. You know, what's bodily fabrication? Any kind of fabrication, construction, yeah, shaped experience, yeah. Anything that arises through the body. We're primarily talking today about agitation and restlessness or sleepiness and dullness and tiredness, yeah? low energy, high energy. These are all bodily fabrications. So is pain. Yeah? It's a bodily fabrication. It's an experience that comes together through the lens of the body. Yeah? That's how we know it. Yeah? So all of that, these are all bodily fabrications. And the Buddha is saying, here's an encouragement of responsiveness in the calming of bodily fabrication. Yeah. It's body experience in the way we practice, in the way we play with the breath, we can calm it. Yeah, we can calm it. And then he continues to describe the path. Yeah. So as bodily fabrication calms, yeah, yeah, calms, this person trains themselves, I will breathe in sensitive to rapture. They train themselves, I will breathe out, sensitive to rapture. They train themselves, I will breathe in, sensitive to pleasure. And they train themselves, I will breathe out, sensitive to pleasure. You remember the end, the last meditation, I encourage you to feel any well-being, any release. Yeah. And sometimes we might actually say any sense of the pleasant that arises. Yeah. So as the bodily fabrication calms, yeah, and as we increase in sensitivity, we can tune in yeah, to rapture and pleasure, yeah, to well-being in the body experience. And then, yeah, we go even further. It's such a beautiful description of our practice. Um, I'm saying we go even further. It's not necessarily linear. I just want to say that it's presented here as like linear, you know, it's like a, this follows this, this follows this, but it's not in the language that this necessarily follows. Yeah, so it can be in a different order. So we train ourselves to breathe in sensitive to mental fabrication. Yeah, so we had the bodily fabrication and now we have the mental fabrication, the thoughts, the emotions, the moods, the mind states, yeah? the mental fabrication, we become sensitive to that too. And then we train ourselves to breathe in calming mental fabrication and to breathe out calming mental fabrication. So this too we can attend to yeah, in our experience. So the calming of bodily fabrication, you know, brings more sensitivity yeah, and that supports a more wholesome relationship to mental fabrication, yeah, including the calming of it. And this in turn increases the sensitivity. So we can say we can, that it's always possible to increase sensitivity. Yeah. And sometimes I think it's, it's, it's a really useful way to reflect on our practice. It's not that things are appearing that weren't there before, but it's our sensitivity yeah, is getting more and more subtle yeah, that we can notice yeah, things that we didn't notice before. And not only notice them, but sustain attention 
with them and that opens up more and more doors i mean it's like as if physically we could somehow train ourselves to listen to more sounds yeah and we know those sounds that are happening and we can't hear them if you've ever spent time with a dog you'll know that from your own experience right they can hear things smell things that we can't yeah this is if we could train that uh, capacity i don't know if it's possible but we can certainly do that with the mind and our attention can kind of become more and more sensitive to more and more things. So, you know, we can um, in turn increase the sensitivity to the mind, yeah, and then cultivate particular aspects and qualities of mind that are conducive to well-being and to further depth of insight. And in this case, the Buddha is talking about gladdening the mind and harmonizing the mind. Yeah. So he continues, and I'm going to continue kind of shortening it, not reading every line, yeah, but just the, the main points. So, you know, we train ourselves um, to breathe in sensitive to the mind and out sensitive to the mind. We train ourselves to breathe in and out, gladdening the mind. I love that word, gladdening. Yeah? Gladdening the mind. Yeah? Tuning into what gladdens the mind. We train ourselves um, to breathe in and out, harmonizing and unifying the mind. Usually the translation here is concentrating, but it, not quite right. Yeah. Word is samadhi in, in Pali. Yeah. Unifying and harmonizing the mind. And then they train, we train ourselves to breathe in and out, releasing the mind, yeah, letting it go, yeah, releasing the mind. And more and more insight comes in here, yeah, so we can train ourselves to breathe in and out, focusing on inconstancy, on the changeability of things. Um, we can train ourselves to focus on dispassion, yeah, the opposite of clinging, yeah. It's the opposite of clinging, the non-clinging, the release, the letting go. We can train ourselves to breathe in and out, focusing on cessation. Yes, he was saying something around that. Yeah, the boundaries of myself and the world start to fade. It's a fading of those boundaries. And we train ourselves that we... Uh, to breathe in and out, focusing on relinquishing, which here the Buddha is using the word relinquishing for Nibbana, yeah, for awakening. And then, <coughs> sorry, I went really fast there through it. Um, and then the Buddha said this, he says, this is how mindfulness of in and out breathing is developed and pursued so as to be of great fruit, of great benefit. And I love, I love this progression, yeah, because it starts out with, you know, this very basic practice of mindfulness, yeah, just notice the breath, is it long or short, just pay, sorry about that, pay attention to your computer when it's telling you it's low on battery, yeah, is the breath low, is the breath <laughs> Low on battery or high on battery, short or long, starts off with that. Yeah. And then more and more subtlety as we progress, you know, calming the bodily fabrication. Yeah. 
So, um, and from there, yeah, rapture, pleasure, gladdening the mind, calming mental fabrications, more and more subtlety. And so really, um, I love the sutta because, you know, that emphasis, yeah, practice is not just about being with the object of meditation. Yeah, let's not sell ourselves short. Yeah, sometimes we get so focused on that as the goal. Yeah, I often remember uh, this happened when I was just beginning to teach. And one of the first retreats wasn't even a retreat. It was a gathering that I was teaching. And someone came to me with a question and they said, you know, what's the big deal of, of being with the breath? I can do 45 minutes of paying attention to every single breath. What's the point? And I, I was completely gobsmacked that, you know, she could do that. I was like, really? 45 minutes and noticing every single breath? Wow, you know, a dumbstruck. I couldn't say a word just in that. But, but it was such a good question, yeah, because she was pointing to the fact that, no, this isn't the goal. It's a means to an end. We pay attention to the breath. Why? So that we can respond and attend to experience in ways that cultivate deeper insight. Yeah, remember from the beginning of the day, insight, seeing that frees. Yeah, seeing that liberates us. So it's not, the point of practice is not just to be with our meditation object. Yeah. It's about understanding experience, but developing ways of relating and attending yeah, that enhance and increase well-being for ourselves and for others. So, you know, if we started off with this question of doing and not doing, yeah, doing and being, let's just rephrase it yeah, and instead ask ourselves, um, could we explore degrees and ways of clinging that bring dukkha? You know, where's the clinging? Where's the craving? Where's the dukkha? Yeah. How are the ways that I'm meeting experience? Yeah. How are they feeding that? Yeah. What feeds clinging and what quietens it? Yeah. What starves it? If we want to use a horrible image. Doesn't feed the clinging. Because, you know, of this understanding, clinging arises with dukkha, dukkha arises with clinging. They also arise with a stronger, louder, more intense sense of self, sense of me, sense of mine. So the question, you know, really becomes, you know, what leads to dukkha? What feeds dukkha? And what nourishes well-being? What nourishes well-being and freedom? And this is true um, for our practice, yeah? And it's equally true for our lives, yeah? And I'm not going to say beyond practice, but our lives beyond the practice on the cushion, yeah? Because the invitation to practice is there all the time, yeah? Not just when our eyes are closed and we're still. And we're in that particular seat, in that particular space. Yeah. That invitation, this is true all the time, cultivating the capacity to listen. Yeah. To listen to experience, cultivating the capacity to engage and to attend to our experience. Yeah. 
And it's not just one way that we do this. It comes back to this point that we've emphasized through the day, appropriateness, which means sensitivity. Being sensitive, what's appropriate right now? What's needed right now? And how do I relate to it? When to open and relax? When to engage and probe and explore our experience? Now, there's always this dance going on. Different modes of attending to experience. And the invitation from the Buddha, including in this sutta, um, to look deeply. How is experience shaped and constructed? And can I apply it? Apply that understanding. Apply that deep looking. Because this is so significant. So significant uh, for each of us and for all of us, for the world. So significant. So, you know, I'm just going to give really simple, but for me, profound examples of that. You know, maybe you noticed, maybe you didn't. When I read the sutta, did you notice the gender that I used? Any idea how it's originally translated and written? He, 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 yeah. And we have a choice, yeah. I have a choice. I get into arguments with one of my close friends who's a Pali scholar. (laughs) And she says to me, Sa, you can't change the gender. You know, the Buddha was a man talking to men. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. But he's not talking to men right now. Yeah. He's talking to all of us. Yeah. Whatever our gender identity is, he's talking to all of us. So you're going to change that from he to they. And, and that can seem like such a little thing. And, and, you know, that's also a valid perspective that it doesn't matter or that it's wrong. Yeah, it's a valid perspective. But for me, it matters. Yeah. These teachings are so precious. Yeah. I don't want anything that's within the realm of my possibilities. Yeah. I don't want anything to shut anybody out. Yeah. And it's significant. I often give this example. I teach a lot in Israel in Hebrew, yeah, my mother tongue. And um, in in Hebrew, uh, you have to choose between masculine and feminine all the time, yeah, all the time. And when you speak in plural, the common, the proper way, yeah, is to speak in the masculine. So as a woman, when I say we, yeah, I'm supposed to say we in the masculine or to speak to a room full of people as you in the masculine. And I refuse to do that. <laughs> so I change the language. And I get all kinds of responses. But for me, the ones that are really important and that keep me going in that, yeah, yes, I know it's sometimes difficult for men to hear that. And I, I, I feel for them. Yeah, I really do. And I wish there was a a way for me to kind of, yeah, to have that option that we have in English to make it gender neutral, yeah, or gender inclusive is a a more lovely way of saying that. 
but there isn't, so I have to choose. And, you know, what keeps me going is the number of women that say, wow, I never realized or I did realize or I never realized that I was being left out. Yeah. And now I feel like I'm included. Yeah. That's really significant. So, you know, how we relate to our experience is significant. It's significant for ourselves. It's significant for the world. It's not always the same. We're not the same. Yeah. And so we would have the things that matter to us. We would have our particular gifts, our particular um, areas of passion. We have our particular ways of looking. What's significant is that we remember that and remember the possibilities. Because how we relate, which includes how we speak, what we choose, what we prioritize, has an impact on the world, on our own experience and on the world. So we can tune in again and again and again to ways of looking, yeah, that honor our aspirations, that are in tune with what we value, yeah, and that bring well-being to the world as much as we can. And, And they're there, they're simple, they're available, yeah. We heard Nick speak beautifully about generosity. That's one of them. Gratitude, appreciation, kindness, compassion, interest, curiosity. You know, so many really accessible ways of looking that we can bring into experience. The most important thing is, yeah, just remembering that possibility. There's always something we can do. Always something we can do to relate to our experience skillfully, yeah? Even just to light a tiny little bit more, yeah? It's always that shift we can make. And I just want to close with an example of this that someone just shared with me, um, which just I thought was so beautiful. Um, and she's a, a health worker, and, you know, so very depleted at this point, Um and, you know, she, she'd come home after a shift and she was trying to do her meta practice, her uh, loving kindness practice, and, and she couldn't do it to anyone else. She was just so depleted and she thought, okay, I'll do it to myself. And she couldn't even do that. that even that felt like that takes too much energy. And so then she said, okay, I'm going to, um, instead of trying to do some practice, I'm going to put myself to bed. Yeah. But doing that as a practice of metta, of care, of kindness, of love, yeah. And I'm not even sure if it was like literally she took herself off to bed and put herself into bed or that was just the image that she had that she was working with. It doesn't actually matter. They're both equally beautiful. But just that remembering there's always something we can do. We can feel like there's no energy, completely depleted. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. (sighs) Opening the awareness, remember? Yeah, space, yeah. softening, relaxing, yeah. seeing what is possible. What can I do? How can I attend to this with kindness? Always possible.